Please rise for the reading of God's Word from Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 through 21. Hear now God's Word. For this reason I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might through his Spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height, to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us, to him be glory in the church by, by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. Thus far the reading of God's word and all God's people said. Amen. We continue to look at the Apostle Paul's prayer for the Ephesian Christians. And as we continue, we also want to focus on the heart. The center of your being. In other words, we don't want to be superficial. We don't want to just skim across the top. We don't want it in one ear and out the other. We want to make sure that the Word of God does what it's intended to do, and that is to give life. To feed us, to nourish us, to sustain us, to cause us to grow. You know, sometimes when you water the garden or you water the grass... You think that you've been effective. I've gone out before on a hot summer day to give the garden a quick drink of water with a hose and very quickly you know, run up and down the rows there with the hose thinking that I have done what I needed to do, that I've been effective. But if you dig down about a half an inch, sometimes you realize that only the surface has gotten wet. The water never made it to the roots, not deep down. And while the plants might perk up for a little while, they soon wither in the heat. Many Christians are like those lightly watered plants. I presume that many, if not most of you, have thoughts of Christ on a Sunday morning, at least during the worship service. But how deep? Do those thoughts go? Does your faith sustain you during the week? Are you self-consciously living under the Lordship of Jesus Christ on a daily basis? Your marriage, your family, your money, your time, they're always ruled by your heart. Does Christ dwell in your heart? Does he live in your heart? Is he the ruler of your heart? Writing from prison, Paul could still focus on what was vital for these Christians in order for them to grow and prosper in Christ. And so he has a list of requests that he brings to the Father on their behalf. He is interested in far more than imparting uh, head knowledge about the Christian faith. He wants them to have good theology. He's, he's laid out much of that in chapters 1 and 2. But now he's praying in earnest for them 
that they will be transformed, that they will be changed by these truths. He is concerned for them, as I am for you, that there be a vital, living relationship with Jesus Christ. Now, there are many simple things about the Christian faith. But there are also some difficult things. Difficult to understand and difficult to apply. And unfortunately, there seem to be many Christians who are unwilling to attempt difficult things. Whether it's laziness or false humility, they prefer to think of themselves as simple Christians and assume that that's good enough to get them to heaven. But the Bible does not agree with that approach. For example, Peter instructs us saying, Grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And in the next chapter of Ephesians, Paul will say that we are to no longer be children. There are numerous other exhortations and rebukes regarding our need to grow up. If we were to give a proficiency test today in the Christian faith, how would you rank? Have you measurably grown in your faith in the past year? As I like to say, look over your shoulder, look behind you a bit and say, wow, have I grown? Boy, I've grown a lot or I don't see any growth at all or maybe just a tiny bit. And when we consider the, the, uh, the Ephesians, all of us have, a much greater, have much greater advantages regarding the conditions of life, our educations, our prosperity. You can read and write. You're not persecuted. You have a measure of wealth and leisure. Part of Paul's prayer for them and us, which was that we would be strengthened with might through His Spirit in the inner man, was so that our capacity, and he goes on to say, could comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. And again, I think I mentioned this last time. Sometimes I think we're thimbles instead of barrels. And because the thimble is full, we're satisfied. But God wants us, wants that to expand. He wants us to be barrels. He wants us to be able to hold more. We've just begun. Paul's first petition of verse 17 then is that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Now, we might be tempted, as we often are in our haste, to zoom past this phrase, but we should slow down and dwell on this text concerning what it means for Christ to dwell in our hearts. The first thing we should note is that this is not a phrase that is intended for evangelistic purposes. We might think that. Christ dwelling in the heart. Are we talking about unbelievers needing Christ to dwell in their hearts? 
But Paul isn't praying that non-Christians would have Christ dwell in their hearts. That's certainly something they need. But that these Ephesian Christians would have Christ dwell in their hearts. These are people who are already baptized and covenantally united to Christ. They're church members. Paul could say of them the same thing or, uh, that he said to the, to the Corinthians. Do you not know yourselves that Jesus Christ is in you? Or in his epistle to the Romans, but you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. Now, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is not his. So we know that these are people that have Christ in some measure. So Paul is praying for people who are already Christians that Christ may dwell in their hearts by faith. So let's talk about dwelling and faith. The word that's translated dwell means to settle in, to pervade, or to govern, to be at home. In other words, Paul is praying that Jesus will not just be a visitor in your heart, someone that comes and goes. He doesn't just drop drop by for the occasional visit on Sunday morning. Another example of this is found in the book of Revelation and the message to the church at Laodicea in Revelation chapter 3. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. You've got to figure somebody coming in and sitting down at the table and having a meal and staying. Again, this passage is often misused as an evangelistic text when in fact it was written for church members, which means it was written for us. Jesus is knocking at the door of a lukewarm Christian who has grown dull and indifferent. They were neither hot nor cold, but Revelation 3.17 says apparently they were not even aware of the fact that they were wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. They were so dull that they were not even aware of their condition They were in a relationship to Jesus, but they were certainly not controlled by him. I think I can honestly say this about some of us as well. And so I beg you to pay close attention. You have have a dealing with Jesus, perhaps, but he is not the center of your life. Something else is the center. Your career, your entertainment, your friends, your music, your next vacation, whatever it is. He's not really dwelling in your hearts. He's, again, more of a Sunday visitor. Now, Paul is grateful for all that has happened to the Ephesians, but he wants more for them. He wants them to have an intimate relationship with Jesus Christ. He wants them to join with him in being able to truly say this, I have been crucified with Christ. In other words, I've died to myself. 
It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. The promise of Jesus to his disciples was this, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him and he will come to him and make our home with him. Does God and his word have a home in your heart? We begin with belief, with forgiveness, with justification, but there is so much more. Sanctification, growing, maturing, becoming Christ-like is a process and it's progressive every day. The heart. We note here that it all begins in the heart. In the Bible, the heart is the center of the person, not just the feelings, the affections, but also the mind and the will. And so it goes beyond mere belief. I'm glad that we recite the creed each week to get it into us. It matters what we believe, but if it only stops there, so that we could recite the answers to the catechism questions or to the content of the creed, That's good, but it's not enough. In other words, your entire being is to be occupied by Christ. He must occupy your intellect and your affections. He must dominate and control your whole life. So, how real is the person of Jesus Christ to you? Is he an abstraction? Something you read about in the Bible? Something you hear about from the pulpit? Or is this a person that you know? Is he just there on the shelf like your Bible is? So that when you need him, which you don't very often, you can pull it off the shelf, pull him off the shelf when something big happens? Paul said, it pleased God who separated me from my mother's womb and called me through his grace to reveal his son in me. Not just on the road to Damascus, not just to his eyes and ears, but in me. This is what Paul is praying for the Ephesians. More than an introduction to Christ, he wants them to have a deep personal relationship and awareness of him all the time. Is he at the center? The Greek word for dwell is in the aorist tense, which means this is something that happens once and it continues forever. So there was a time in the past when it wasn't true, but then things changed. He was abstract, but now he's real. When that happens, then we will enjoy a consciousness of his fellowship. I have always rejected the notion of the so-called carnal Christian versus the spirit-filled Christian, but I must say... 
that there are distinctions between immature and mature Christians. Just as there are both weak and strong marriages. You have two two different couples. They're both really married, objectively. They're husband and wife. But there's a vast, vast difference in marriages. Paul speaks of certain Christians, for example, in terms that distinguish them. In Acts 17, he says these, these Berean Christians were more noble than those in Thessalonica. He's comparing this group of Christians with the other group of Christians. And he says the reason they are, the reason they're higher, more advanced, more mature, is at first they received the Word of God with all readiness of heart. There was no dullness here. There's no ho-hum. We're bored. But an eagerness to receive the Word. And when they received it, they searched the Scriptures daily. They read their Bibles every day to see if these things were so. These are better Christians. More mature. Hebrews 5.12 For thy... Though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God, and you have come to need milk and not solid food. So the author of Hebrews is saying there are some Christians who can handle the meat. They are where they ought to be, but you, you ought to be there, but you're not there. You're still a baby. I already spoke of the lukewarm Laodiceans in Revelation 3, and there's a real distinction And it's seen in your life and in the life of your family and in the life of your children and in your church life. It is seen every day. Paul is praying for all of this to be turned around when he prays that Christ may dwell in your heart through faith. Because when that happens, Christ... When he moves in, when he dwells in your heart, he controls everything. He's God. Your time, your money, your labors, your education, all your decisions. That's when we can say with Paul, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And that isn't hyperbole. Are you listening? Are you listening with your heart? Now, he says that all of this comes about by the exercise of faith. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God, and you're hearing the Word of God right now. You have divine information about Christ dwelling in your hearts. How many times have you read this passage Do you believe it? Are you going to let it just slide by again? You see, this truth has to be apprehended by faith. It's not enough just to hear it or see it. You have to get a hold of it. And it has to get a hold of you. You ought to come to every sermon. Uh, I'm going to illustrate this. I'm not going to call any names, but I want to illustrate what I think is something I've said a number of times, I think a lot of preachers do. I understand as a pastor, as I work on sermons, prepare sermons, uh, my own perception of them is that 
Some are better than others. I'm sure that's your perception. That's objectively true. Some are more organized, some are more thoughtful, some are more profound, some are shallow, some just didn't come together. But you listen in different ways. So last Sunday, I had someone approach me and say, that was the best sermon I ever heard. And I had someone else later the same day that evening apologize and say, you know, I just couldn't get into the sermon today. My mind was distracted. Now, it was the same sermon, but two different listeners. And I think we've all experienced, I hope, both of those things. But I want to emphasize the difference is not always in the sermon The difference sometimes is in us. When Paul preached at Athens, and I know that Paul didn't always preach exhilarating sermons because we have the story of someone falling asleep during one of his sermons and falling out of a window. Aren't you glad you don't have to sit in a window up high during one of my sermons? Thankfully, Paul fixed that. But in Acts 17, after he preached at the Areopagus, it said some people mocked. They sneered. They, they made fun of him. And others said, we'd like to hear you again. And then there's that just matter-of-fact statement stuck in there, the third one, and some believed. Same sermon. Same message. We ought to come every time to the Word of God, whether we're reading it, whether we're hearing it, and come with the expectation that God is going to move us, to change us, to stir us up, to push us forward. You see, this truth is, again, to be apprehended. God's Word says it's possible For Christ to dwell in your hearts and you believe it, and that means you act on it, that means you pray for it, that means you accept it fully. If I were to ask for a show of hands, and I'm not, I wonder what I would see. Who here really has Christ dwelling in their hearts in this vital, living way? Who could say... Jesus is the center of my life. Now, I won't ask you to raise your hand, but I will ask you to do as the Apostle Paul did, and I will ask you to bow before the Father. I will ask you to pray right now and ask Christ to dwell in your heart and to take control of you and your mind, and your will, and your affections. Because I don't want you to be satisfied any longer with anything less than that. Apart from this happening, you're going to go on living just the way you are. Actually, that's not completely true. You will decline. Because no one stands still. You're either getting stronger or weaker. Little by little, 
And as your story progresses, that strength or weakness is going to show in dramatic ways. It will show in every area of your life. In fact, whether you know it or not, it's already showing. Let's pray. Father, like the Apostle, we bow our knees to you, the one from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. And we pray that you would grant us, according to the riches of your glory, to be strengthened with might through your Spirit in our inner man, that Christ may dwell in our hearts through faith, that we, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height, to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge, that we may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us, to him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus, to all generations forever and ever. Amen. Second Corinthians 13, verse 5 and 6 says, Examine yourselves as to whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not know yourselves that Jesus Christ is in you? Unless indeed you are disqualified. But I trust that you will know that we are not disqualified. Then in John chapter 14, verses 23 and 24, Jesus answered and said to them, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. He who does not love me does not keep my words, and the word which you hear is not mine, but the Father who sent me. So as we approach the Lord's table, which should have begun yesterday, or in some ways it actually begins as soon as we leave here. We leave the table, but then we are starting that big circle through the week in which we're always headed back to the table. It's a big cycle. So as we approach the table, we should examine ourselves. Look inside. Not some morbid introspection that consumes us or paralyzes us, but rather an honest assessment of where our heart is. And as we come to this table, this is the beginning, a a time when we get to start over with a new week on this resurrection day where we say, Lord, I want to do better this week. I want to love you more. I want to walk closer. I want to do better than I did last week and make progress. That's why we're here at the table, not just to take a piece of bread and drink some wine and sing a couple of hymns and check that off the worship order. We have been moving toward this, and here we are. So what are you going to do with it? I thought about the hymn, uh, and I'm going to read the lyrics just as a means of our meditation as we come to this table. We have not known thee as we ought, nor learned thy wisdom, grace, and power. The things of earth have filled our thought, and trifles of the passing hour, Lord, 
Give us light to see thy truth. And make us wise in knowing thee. We have not feared thee as we ought, nor bowed beneath thine awful eye, nor guarded deed and word and thought, remembering that God was nigh. Lord, give us faith to know thee near, and grant the grace of holy fear. We have not loved thee as we ought, nor nor cared that we are loved by thee. Thy presence we have coldly sought and feebly longed thy face to see. Lord, give a pure and loving heart to feel and know the love thou art. We have not served thee as we ought. Alas, the duties left undone, the work with little fervor wrought, the battles lost or scarcely won. Lord, give the zeal and give the might for thee to toil, for thee to fight. When shall we know thee as we ought, and fear and love and serve aright? When shall we, out of trial brought, be perfect in the land of light? Lord, may we day by day prepare to see thy face and serve thee there. O Lord, our hands often droop and our knees are often weak. Please move us to lift them and strengthen them. We know that we must strive after holiness. Our sanctification is not a passive process in which we can relax and let go, but rather an active wrestling, a running of a race, a striving against sin and after righteousness, a pursuit of peace and holiness. We have not resisted temptation in the strength of our Savior, who sweat, as it were, great drops of blood in Gethsemane and shed his blood on on Calvary. Especially may we strive for peace among men and pull up all the roots of bitterness that might reside in us. May we flee from the sensuality of our age and and of our fallen hearts, and may we be found walking in your ways all the days of our lives. Plant our hearts and lives and thinking firmly in the things that cannot be shaken. Give us stability in you and in your word and wisdom as we face all the contradictory voices in the world. Bless now this Lord's Day. Bless our rest and our rejoicing. Lord, bless our meal, our fellowship, and we commit all this to you now in Jesus' name. Amen. Now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace always in every way. The Lord be with you all. Amen. Amen.